0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: The ability to believe in something that is invisible and to believe in it so much that you in fact believe that it is inevitable um, is highly valuable. And I think that the intelligent people, um, even if they can't see a light, know that there is one because they are the creators of their reality. And there's a big difference. There's a caveat here that I want to be really clear about. And and you kind of touched on it, which is ability. Um, It's one thing to believe something is possible, but to truly not have the chops uh, internally or externally to, to play the game. Um, and it's another thing to be very intelligent and also have the chops to play the game.
2: Kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com tribe. Shannon, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: It is my pleasure to have you here. Um, as I was jokingly saying uh, before we hit record, you and I seem to have got off on the wrong foot. We both you know, thought each other were assholes. And coincidentally, some of my best friends and I are in that exact same situation. And, and uh, when my you know, roommate, Matt, who also happens to be one of your clients, told me a bit more about your story, I think he told me like three things. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, there's no question. I would love to have him as a guest. <laughs> um, so before we get into all of that, uh, I want to start asking you, what religious or spiritual beliefs were you raised with and how did those end up impacting the choices that you've made throughout your life
1: and your career? Yeah, um <clears throat> I guess you could call it Christian light. Um you know, it was it was Christianity but it was very light. Like we didn't go to church um you know, it it was I th- I think I can count on one hand the amount of times I remember going to church. Yeah. Um so it was not heavy um and and my mom really was um more spiritual than anything um mm. I'll never forget they they grew up my mom grew up in um New Jersey and uh, when they were young they they grew up near a lake and on Sunday um her mom would go to church and her dad would go ice skating and the kids had a choice. They could go to church with mom or they could ice skate with dad. And one day my mom wanted to go ice skating. I mean, they all, you know, all my mom's side ice skated. They, they played hockey. They, I mean, it was just what they did. And so she wanted to go ice skating one Sunday, but she felt guilty. And so she asked her dad if it was okay. And his response was great. He said, "God doesn't care where you pay attention to Him. He just cares that you pay attention." Mm-hmm. And um, you know that was that was powerful. And so, it, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, it, it kind of painted this picture of like you, you don't have to go to church to be religious, or you don't have to go to church to be spiritual um and yeah so v- v- there was that it, it was really not a heavy influence um but i got involved with martial arts at a pretty young age age 5 and that led me towards eastern philosophy and eastern religion um so there was this interesting kind of combination of just a little bit of christianity and then a pretty heavy dose of um, of Zen and what's called Chan. Chan is, um, essentially Chinese Zen. And, um, yeah, so I had this, I had this kind of interesting blend of, of spirituality and, and different religion and, and things like that growing up. And, um, yeah, it, it created kind of an interesting cocktail.
2: How old were you when you started martial arts? Five. Okay. I'm glad I asked this question. So when you were five years old, did you understand uh, the significance of what you were being taught in terms of spirituality and religion? And how has that changed over your life? How's your understanding of what you were learning then changed uh, throughout your adult yeah, life? Um,
1: well, it, it honestly hasn't changed all that much in, in the most fundamental ways. Because when I was young, I understood that religion or spirituality was really just a connection to something bigger than yourself. And that understanding has stayed with me indefinitely.
2: So why do you think it is that? When it comes to religion, people tend to fall into sort of two camps, sort of the extremists who would disagree with you on this. I I tend to agree with you on this, despite the fact that my parents are devout Hindus. Um, Mm. I think that there is a grain of truth to the fact that you don't have to go to church or to temple and particularly Indian religious practice is all incredibly time consuming. Just go to an Indian wedding and you'll know what I'm talking about. So Mm -hmm. that's my big gripe about Indian religious practices but
1: yeah.
2: you know I, I, this has been you know an ongoing battle with my parents too at times and I think my mom finally gave up and said fine do your own thing and then I think my dad was shocked to see me reading the Bhagavad Gita one day and I said look it's not that I don't believe in any of this stuff I just don't like the idea of organized religion because I feel it's a way to control people yeah. and yet a lot of people seek you know uh fulfillment and, and well-being and, and community. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there are a lot of good things that come from people's religious practices. My parents have met some of their best friends through temple, but I think what I'm curious about is why people become so fervent and fanatical uh, and unwilling to question what they believe.
1: Um, because uncertainty is dangerous. And what I mean by that is um, it's dangerous from a sense of self. We all must have a sense of self, and religion gives people a great vehicle for that. I am a Christian, and that comes with a predefined identity. So I don't have to figure out who I am. I can more or less subscribe to an identity, and it gives me certainty. We all have to have certainty about who we are. And religion gives us a, a, a very powerful vehicle for identity. Um, and it's, and it's one that we don't even have to create the religion more or less creates the identity for us. So it, the identity informs how we should behave and what we should think and who we are. And a, that's very convenient. And B it gives us a sense of self, and so to depart from that or to challenge that um, becomes problematic because it causes us to have uncertainty about who we are fundamentally, and um, that is that is a that is a state of being that most people avoid like the plague. Yeah.
2: So I know that your life has been filled with a lot of uncertainty, which we will get into, but how do people actually navigate uncertainty without losing their minds? Because I think that whether you do something creative, whether you do anything entrepreneurial, hell, I mean, even if you have a nine to five job, life is inherently uncertain. And I learned this when I was 20 something years old, when some guy called me into an office and said, you have your whole life planned out and I can tell you, none of it will go according to plan. And he was right right on. Uh, So, you know, I mean, I know that you work with a bunch of, like, how do people navigate uncertainty without losing their minds?
1: Well, I think it comes back to the sense of self. Um, y- you can be uncertain about a lot of things externally and still navigate life successfully if you foundationally know who you are. And so uh, that's, that's kind of the crux of the whole thing. It's uh, human beings can deal with massive amounts of external uncertainty if they know who they are at their core. Mm-hmm. If they don't know who they are at their core, that it, just dealing with that alone um, it, for many people is insurmountable. And so, yeah. yeah, dealing with uncertainty comes down to I might not know what to do. I might not know how to do it, but I know that I can it's, it's ultimately a belief in oneself. It's a belief in potentiality to say, I don't, I, I've never experienced this challenge before. I don't know what to do, but I know that I can figure it out. And, uh, in my line of work, that is, that is not even inevitable. That is by design. I, I by design bring my clients to places that they don't know how to navigate. So they must. Um, A, trust themselves to unprecedented levels, and B, um, access levels of their potentiality that they never have before.
3: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from rust I'm
0: Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because
2: you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: I want to
2: come back to this idea of getting to know yourself and also putting your clients in situations that they don't know how to navigate. But yeah. let's go back to martial arts. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated by people who have studied martial arts because I'm the kid whose parents took him to karate. And when my cousin, who happened to be a girl, asked me what I learned on the first day of karate, I kicked her in the stomach and my dad didn't mm-hmm. let me go back. So, mm-hmm. um, what do you learn from martial arts in terms of discipline, in terms of habits, in terms of mindset? that uh impacts you know your life today
1: yeah um there's a lot there's a lot we could do a whole episode just about that um discipline is certainly one of the biggest ones um if you look around at most people especially in western civilization but really predominantly around the world discipline is is by and large missing from the picture um especially if you're an entrepreneur, discipline is like second to none. Yeah. So discipline is big. Um, I actually get pegged for someone who is in the military or some flavor of that. Um, because the, the air that I carry, uh, is very strong with discipline. And in the military, obviously, if you're in the military, it's very disciplined as well. And so there's there's really only a few things that you can engage with in life that will create that level of discipline. The military is one of them. Martial arts is another one. There's probably a couple others we could think of. But um, yeah, discipline is absolutely a, a huge one. Um, and indomitable spirit, that's another one. In martial arts, they teach you there is no failure unless you quit. And so any, any opponent, any challenge, any, anything, um, you can, you can overcome as long as you are willing to get back up. And so uh, again, obviously as an entrepreneur, inevitably you're going to fail. Inevitably, you're going to come up against big challenges that you probably don't know how to solve. But if you, if your spirit cannot be broken, um, if you do not back down, then you can pretty much do anything. Um, so that's a big one. Focus, um, focus in martial arts is key. Uh, You know, if you're sparring, for example, if you're not focused, you're going to get hit. Um, and so the ability to focus is, is absolutely critical. That one has served me very well, uh, over time. So I'd, I'd say those are three really big ones.
2: Let's do a deeper dive into this idea of not quitting. You know, I just wrote a post today about quitting things that you're average at. And I I have a copy of Seth Godin's book right here. One of the things that he said that really struck me, and I want to hear your perspective on this, is that persistent people are able to visualize the idea of a light at the end of the tunnel when others can't see it. At the same time, the smartest people are realistic about not imagining a light when there isn't any. And I think the reason that that uh, really struck me so much is because I feel like I see so many people struggling to do things that they're average at because of cognitive biases like loss aversion or sunk cost bias. So, given what you know about quitting, uh, what is your view on that?
1: Um, I think there's a happy medium. You know, I I, I don't know that it's balanced in in my mind, but certainly the ability. To believe in something that is invisible and to believe in it so much that you, in fact, believe that it is inevitable um, is highly valuable. And I think that the intelligent people, um, even if they can't see a light, know that there is one because they are the creators of their reality. And there's a big difference. There's a caveat here that I want to be really clear about. And, and you kind of touched on it, which is ability. Um, it's one thing to believe something is possible, but to truly not have the chops uh, internally or externally to, to play the game. Um, and it's another thing to be very intelligent and also have the chops to play the game. And, um, So yeah, that's, that's kind of the differentiation that I would make there. Yeah. I
2: mean, and to me, this is the distinction between rational and delusional optimism.
1: Right. Well, it's tricky, man. It's tricky Mm -hmm. because some of the people that I admire the most, most people would call delusional (laughs) (laughs) myself included myself included. And so every, everyone who's done really big things that have, that have drastically moved the needle forward, probably at some point we're called delusional. Um, so you kind of have to be okay with, with a degree of that. Um, but again, it's like some people are delusional about their capability and that's the problem. Um, I don't, I don't, I actually don't think you can be delusional about vision mm-hmm. because we can create anything that we can imagine. Yeah, but I do believe you can be delusional about who you are and what you're capable of. And that's where people get into trouble.
2: Yeah, I love this. You're you're echoing a lot of the things that my mentor, Greg Hartle, used to say about this sort of distinction between probability and possibility. He's like, is it possible that you and I could get to the Olympics? Yeah. He said, is it probable? Not likely. Right. Uh, right. Exactly right. So <clears throat> let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um. Walk me through the trajectory of your career. Like what has led you to where you're at today? Like what have been the significant inflection points? Because I I think I I told you the story that got me was one that I would love for you to share. When Matt told me that, I was like, oh my God, I have to hear the rest of this.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I'll give you kind of the bullet pointed version. Um, When I was young, I was a bit troubled. And I was involved with things like drugs and alcohol and crime. And um, basically, one day I came to the conclusion that if I stay on the path that I'm on, I will either end up in jail or worse. And I asked myself, is that my destiny? Is it my destiny to end up there? And the immediate obvious answer was No. And that invoked in me one of the most powerful human emotions, which is curiosity. And the curiosity was, well, if that's not my destiny, then what is? And that actually lit me up and motivated me um, tremendously. And I realized that you can't solve your problems with the same level of thinking that created them, as our dear friend Albert Einstein once said. So I realized that I needed to get above the clouds. I needed to change my mindset. I needed to change my identity to help figure out and unlock this question of what is my destiny? Um, Because I couldn't figure it out from kind of the dark place that I was in. But I was so excited and so curious about it that I uh, was willing to put in the work to get to a place where I could figure it out. And so I started to to do the work. I started to really dive deeply into self-improvement and personal development. And I found myself in a completely new reality. And the answer to the question of what is my destiny was to make the world a better place. And um, over time, I have continued to refine that. And how I go about creating that. Um, so, yeah, it's been a progression of really lifting myself up by my bootstraps and um, empowering myself to, to create a new and different reality, not only for myself, but for the world. Uh, so when you're in
2: a dark place, I, I know this having been there, one of the mm-hmm. first things to go is curiosity. You know, yep. you're just trying to get by, and mm-hmm. uh, I wonder how you maintained your curiosity and resilience through that. Um, also, let's go deeper into sort of you know the darkness of this period, because according to Matt, you were at one point homeless.
1: Uh, yep, that's right. So, um, how but- in
2: the world does somebody like you end up homeless? Because from what I gathered, just from what you told me about your parents, it doesn't sound like you were raised in some sort of you know toxic environment. Correct me if I'm wrong. But well, were you on the trajectory
1: to becoming homeless
2: based on your environment?
1: No, not necessarily. I, I did not grow up under the best circumstances. So my dad was not in the picture when I grew up. My mom worked three jobs. Um, so it was, it, I wouldn't say it was toxic, but it certainly wasn't um, the most nurturing uh, environment. Um, the funny thing is I ended up homeless after I had a major, um, turnaround in a positive way in my life. And so, uh, even though that time was challenging, it was, I'm doing air quotes with a smirk on my face, um, easier to navigate because of who I was and the mindset that I had. Okay. We'll
2: come back to that. Um, I have to ask you about your father not being in the picture. What impact has that had on you as a man, um, both just as a human as well as in your relationships?
1: Well, um, it's the the two that immediately come to mind um, is A, I had a certain level of abandonment mm, issues, I guess you could call it, for quite a while. Um, So that led to some beliefs about worthiness and, you know, things like that value. Um, and those are things that I, I can strongly say that I have navigated and, and reconciled today. Um, so that was one of the pieces that came from it. Um, but the other side of it, which I, I'm actually grateful for was that I didn't have any strong male, um, influence, but I'm very insightful. I don't know. Where it comes from, I have been as long as I can remember, even before I have memories. My mom used to say that I was just very insightful as as a young child. And so, at a very young age, I knew that having some level of masculine influence was important. And so, I decided to create my own masculine identity. And I did that by watching movies of um, you know, I guess what you'd call like, uh, historically typical masculine men, um, you know, movies like James Bond and, um, John Wayne and, uh, you know, things like that. And so I, I kind of took pieces from these characters that had these positive masculine traits that I admired and I began to, to dissect them and understand what was the cause of that effect. Everything is cause and effect. And so if a person is brave, or if a person has courage, or if a person um, will stand up for the little guy or um, protect somebody, there's a, there is a reason for that. There is a causation for that. And, and so the better I understood that, um, the, the more it was able to kind of inform and create this masculine identity that I um, developed for myself mm.
2: what were the decisions and choices you made that actually resulted in you becoming homeless?
1: Um, that was an interesting story, so I grew up originally in Vermont in a in a small town, two thousand people uh, in Vermont, and I did not go to college uh, at the end of high school, I knew that college was not going to be the path for me. And so I moved to New York city and I lived there for, um, close to a year. And about halfway through, I had an apartment that I was going to move into. Um, and I had a job that I was going to start that week. So everything was looking good. And both of them fell through. And, uh, just the universe, I guess, wanted to put me in a situation to grow. (laughs) And so, um, I, for whatever reason, I couldn't stay with any of my friends. They were either out of town or they had other people visiting. Um, so I, I literally had no options and I had no money. And so for about a week and a half, I was homeless. And, um, that's not a lot of time. Uh, but when you're homeless, a week and a half feels like an eternity. Um, yeah, so it was. It wasn't anything drastic. It was just kind of uh, the the dice happened to roll out in a certain way um, that that led to me not having a place to stay and, and not having money to create a place to stay. Um, and uh, that's how I got there.
2: So two questions come from this: um, How did you survive that week? And the other. My mentor, Greg, told me one of the things he did when he traveled around the country was he actually went and spent time in homeless shelters. And he said the director of the homeless shelter told him, we try to get people out of here in 90 days, because if they're here for longer than that, being homeless becomes their identity.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, the, the again, the, the kind of the funny part about the whole thing was At that point in my life, I was maybe 20 years old, 21 years old. Um, I had at least, let's say, uh, let's just say three or four years of really developing a positive, powerful mindset and identity. And so the first couple days I was down on myself. I kind of was in this doom and gloom. And then I was able to turn it around. And so it really wasn't that bad. It, it, I kind of, I kind of like made it a, a little bit of like a joke out of it. Maybe not a joke, but like a game. And the game was like, where am I going to sleep tonight? And it was kind of like Jason Bourne out in the field, like trying <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I made it fun. And um, I also draw, drew a really hard line in the sand um, about a week and a half in. I, it was a Wednesday, I'll never forget. I said, "Okay, uh, I've had enough of this. It's it's time to change." And I said, "I need to make some money. Like money was the solution." So I said, "How can I make some money?" And I just felt so confident. I felt so powerful. I'll, I'll never forget. I was in an alleyway, and there were all these cardboard boxes. And I kind of put them together, and I I made almost this throne, this like this just amazing chair. And I sat in this throne that I created and I looked across the alley at the, at the brick wall and I visualized it as a, as a, as a whiteboard. And I started almost like a beautiful mind mapping out different ways that I could make money. What are, what are all the different things that I have that are valuable that I can make money from? And I started just throwing them up on the whiteboard and I'm doing air quotes. Um, and so I had all these different ideas and I finally said to myself, you know, where I've been able to take myself and my identity and my empowerment from where it was is pretty profound. I bet that someone in a similar situation would be willing to give me money to help them do the same thing. And that was the solution. So I went to sleep Happy. I went to sleep certain that my destiny was about to change. And the next day I woke up and I went to the public library and I wrote, I wrote an ad on Craigslist and I would pay good money to, to see that copy again, because, um, you know, I didn't know anything about copywriting back then, but I, um, but it worked. The point is it worked. I got a call that day from a guy from Brooklyn who worked on Wall Street and um, his life was just a mess he didn't he didn't want to work on Wall Street. he had kind of hit a plateau in his life and he was he was wanting to be and do something different and we met at Starbucks and I, I told him about how I could help him and um, he was actually my, my very first coaching client and he paid me 400 bucks up front for for a month of coaching and to me back then i mean i was rich um and that was the beginning of an entirely new chapter wow
2: Okay, so let's go back into this whole idea of identity and destiny. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about navigating uncertainty, and one of the things you said is that you know, people really don't know the truth on the core of who they are. What is that process of discovery for people?
1: Um, well, it, it, in my opinion, it comes down to the question, which is the hardest question for human beings to answer, which is, what do I want? What do I want? What do most people say when you ask them that question? What do they lead with?
2: More money, more love, whatever. Incorrect. Oh, I don't know.
1: The majority of people, when you ask them that question, they tell you what they don't want. If you say, Shannon, what do you want? Most people say, well, what I don't want is. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We're very good at knowing what we don't want. We're terrible at knowing what we do want. And so identity simply begins with like, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Not who am I? That's such a, that's a trick question. That question has fucked up mankind for a long time. Who am I? What, how could you even answer that? But who do I want to be? Or who do I believe I am at my core? That's a better question. If you ask better questions, you get better answers that 's a strategy I learned from Tony Robbins mm-hmm. yeah. and so identity is completely made up first of all, and so if it 's completely made up, then the best thing you can do is ask yourself, "Who do I want to be?" Who do I want to be just like me i didn't i didn 't have any sense of masculinity or manliness or any of that. I had no idea, but I said, "Who do I want to be?" And I said, "Well, I want to be a man who who believes in Strength in meekness and, and meekness. The, 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 the original etymology of the word meek is power under control. It doesn't mean mousy, it doesn't mean weak, it actually means power under control. That is why the meek shall inherit the earth. It doesn't make sense any other way. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a guy who st- stood up for the little guy. I knew that I wanted to be steadfast, I knew that I wanted to have courage. Um, but I didn't have those things, but I wanted them. I, I believed that that was who I was. And so I began to put those pieces of my identity together. And so your identity is completely uh, something that you create. And and so the best thing you can do is to ask yourself, who do I want to be? And And to be honest and to allow yourself the time and space to be honest with that question. Even if you don't know how you're going to get there, That's not the point of the exercise. The exercise is simply to give yourself permission to expand into the greatest version of who you are. Um, So
2: you start asking this question in a dark chapter of your life and people with far less adverse circumstances than the ones that you were dealing with don't get out of those situations. Why do you think that is?
1: I I think that's exactly the reason. Sometimes if it's not quite painful enough there's not enough impetus to move that's i think that's the secret is sometimes when you get punched in the face so hard you must do something different in, in necessity is the mother of invention and so it's like if you must as tony says if you must then you can if you must then you can but if you should how many people should everybody 80, 80 plus percent of the U S population is overweight. If you put a gun to their head and you said you need to lose 10 pounds in the next 60 days, do you think they would know how to do it? Of course. So why don't they? Because there's some disconnect, but so they should, I should work out. I should make more money. I should, I should, I should, but the problem is they're too comfortable. They're too comfortable. If someone literally put a gun to their head that would be so uncomfortable that they would change. They would yeah. be forced into a state of change.
2: It reminds so me of that.
1: And this is kind of weird, but sometimes the benefit of having really hard times in life is that you come out the other end super powerful. It's 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 I know it sounds so cliche, but sometimes it really is a blessing.
2: It reminds me of that uh, scene in Fight Club where uh, Brad Pitt holds a gun to that guy's head and tells him to go back to veterinary school.
1: That's right. And but what does he do? He does it. Mm-hmm. He does it. And that's the why. So we have to it begs the question. Why didn't he do it before he put the gun to his head? Because he was too comfortable. He didn't have enough reason. He didn't have enough gravity to do something different. He he you know, he he wasn't great. But he wasn't miserable that's the point. sometimes when you're so low, all you can do is go up. But if you're not low enough that's that it's it's not comfortable, but it's not painful, so it's enough to keep you right where you are and and truthfully, that's where the majority of the population of the planet lives. yeah,
2: wow. Um, we're talking about what people want and what they don't want and mm-hmm. something came to mind for me when you were talking about that because so often what we think we want is driven by social comparison. We see somebody say on Facebook, oh, I just published my first book or I just became a millionaire. You see somebody on the cover of magazines and writer Carroll actually talked about this in the bullet journal where he said, this is a common pitfall for people is appropriating other people's goals. How do they avoid that? Because it's so easy to do that, particularly when you're on Facebook all day scrolling through everybody's highlight reel.
1: Yep, I've already revealed the secret. It's one question. But there there is a nuance in the question that I will highlight that will help illuminate the answer. The question is, what do I want? What do I want? When I take the time and space to put Facebook away, put Instagram away, put the Rob report down, and and, and tune into myself and ask myself honestly, what do I? want that is the fastest clearest most powerful path to the answer to your question
2: mm. wow simple but complicated at the same time
1: um yes 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 simple but not easy yeah well Let's- i might I, I might i might challenge myself on that i don't think that's accurate it actually is easy It just requires courage. It just requires courage. Um, Most people either know what they want, but they don't give themselves permission to go there because they don't believe they deserve it or they don't believe they're worthy of it. So, so what's the point of entertaining it in the first place? Understandable. And the other side of it is, is just possibility. They just don't think it's possible. They don't think it's practical. Um, There's a lot of practicality that gets baked into our culture. And um, that's why there's so few Elons out there. And it's not because there's not a lot of Elons out there. There's actually a good number of Elons out there, but they are conditioned to think that their dreams are impractical. And so they abandon that line of thinking. And so the truth is, most people really do know what they want if they give themselves the time and space to ask the question. Um, it's just sometimes what comes with that is a bit challenging because it it tends to bring up things like, I'm not enough, or I don't know if it's possible. And if you're willing to be in that discomfort, then you can move through it and and get above it. Um, but that, that tends to be where the challenge is.
2: Yeah. Let's talk about this idea of discovering destiny. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's funny, I, I talked to two types of people here, those who seem to have figured out what it was early in their life and those who figure it out because crisis becomes the catalyst for discovery. Um, yeah. So how how do you go about this? Because I mean, destiny is such a, a, you know, interesting concept. It could mean something different to every single person.
1: Yeah.
2: Is, is there a framework for figuring out what your destiny is?
1: Um. To me, destiny, it, it, it really boils down to two things. Destiny is a combination of who I am and the impact that I want to create while I'm here. And that, that, that could be, um, you know, in my world, when we say impact, what we're really talking about is like global, you know, social impact. Um, but it doesn't have to mean that. It can mean, you know, like the impact that you want to have with your family. Um, the impact you want to have with your community. Um, you know, when we think about somebody like Jesus, for example, whether you're spiritual or not, I use Jesus as an example because it's one that most people are familiar with. Um, you know, Jesus has a pretty cool destiny that that a lot of people um, admire. and the interesting thing about his destiny was that he didn't necessarily create anything for people to latch onto. Um, there was no tangible thing. His destiny was who he was, how he conducted himself while he was alive. And so that's why it's important that the destiny really comes down to who, who am I, who do I want to be? Um, and what is the impact that I want to create? Um, yeah. What is the impact that I feel called to create? And and that might purely have to do with family. Uh, that might have to do with your local community or that might have to do with, with, um, you know, the entire planet. Hmm.
2: Well, let's talk, um, about something that I think is of, of tremendous interest to almost anybody listening to this and seems to be a topic that comes up in almost any conversation about personal development and that's money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I know went from being somebody who made $400 a month and from what I've been told, work with six clients and make a hefty amount of money that's substantially larger than $400 a month. Um, Yep. So what leads to that kind of change? Like how much of it is internal? How much of it is external?
1: Um, Almost, almost, almost 100% of it is internal. Um, Yeah, money. First of all, I believe that money is a representation of the value that you create in the world. And so in my mind, um, the more money you make, the better. Assuming that if you make a lot of money, it means that you create a lot of value. So, so there's that. Um, and then externally, it simply is a function of um, being able to do two things successfully. Number one, communicate value at a at a at a masterful level. And number two, back that value up with actual um, ability to deliver the value. So you have to be able to sell the value, and then you have to be able to deliver on the value. Um, you, you must have both. And assuming you have both, you can essentially make as much money as you can imagine.
2: Uh. So when somebody comes to work with you, and they're in the process, take let's just use Matt as an example. Um, mm-hmm. Matt comes to you. And I, I, you know, I'm always amazed. And sometimes I think he doesn't even recognize that for somebody as young as he does, he's accomplished some really remarkable things because I can tell you, I didn't have anywhere near the clarity that he does at his age. It's, you know, the ongoing joke is I'm the old man in the house because he's 10 years younger. Right. And so what happens, like, what is the process that somebody like Matt goes through to get to where he's at, um, in comparison to where he was at when he met you?
1: Yeah, there, it really comes down to two things. Um, it boils down, first of all, to, "What do you want?" I know I sound a little bit like a broken record, but I'm telling you that the answer to that question is like the secret to everything. Um, and, and there's a diff- you know there's this amazing disconnect between the truth of what people want and what they give themselves permission to have, and usually it's a pretty big discrepancy. And so my job initially, when I start working with someone is I say, what do you want? And I mean that across the board. I mean that um, professionally, what is the, you know, in my line of work, one of the biggest reasons people come to me is because they want to make unprecedented impact in the world and they know I'm the guy that can help them do it. And so I'll say, great, what is that impact? What does that look like? and i will give them a space and a permission to dream as big as they ever have and if anything sometimes i will challenge them to dream even bigger to say hey that vision's so awesome um what's beyond that and and i i'll challenge them to do that simply because i have an intuition that there's more right there's more that maybe they don't quite believe in or maybe they think is not quite practical or whatever but I will push them to give me the absolute highest vision of, of what they desire as far as impact. And then we'll do that with money. And then we'll do that with their, their health and fitness. And we'll do that with their relationships and, and any other metrics that they desire to improve. So we'll create this, um, you know, North star, if you will. And then from there, part two has two parts. Number one is what is the internal change that needs to happen in order to be the person who can create that reality. Um, because obviously, there, there most likely is a difference between who you currently are and the version of you that can create the big, bold reality that you desire to create. So the question is, who is that person? Um, what is their identity? What are their beliefs? What are their thoughts? What are their feelings? What are their actions? And that leads us to the second part of the puzzle for part two, which is, what are the daily actions necessary to move you towards that reality? Um, so, for example, if someone wakes up one day and they decide they want to be a, an Ironman, they want to be a triathlete, and they, don't, they truly don't have much of a um, health and fitness background, um, if they hire uh, an, uh, an expert, you know, Olympic-level trainer, to create a plan for them, a nutrition and exercise plan that they follow every day, let's just say for a year, by the end of that year, it is inevitable, like science, two plus two is four, that they will get to the end of the year and they will be in, suffice to say, better shape than they were a year ago. And so the same, it's similar in my world. We basically take this huge vision and we figure out internally who you need to be, but then we figure out from a literal daily execution standpoint of habits and rituals and actions what you need to do every day in order to eventually become the air quotes triathlete Hmm.
2: there's one component of this that i want to ask you about and i've asked you know different people various versions of this question a lot of people and this i think is very common in, in personal development circles there tends to be a lot of emphasis on the internal sort of getting my mindset right, but it's often not followed by any actual action. Yeah. Like nothing actually changes because people get just caught in this vicious cycle of, you know, being what uh, Stephen Press, uh, Kotler would call a bliss junkie. Uh huh. Why is that?
1: Um, because it's easy because it's easy. H- how many people fantasize about being a multimillionaire? <laughs> How many mm-hmm. people roll up their sleeves and get to fucking work? Not many. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's easy. The, the fantasy, the mental stuff is relatively easy. Um, it's, it's the, it's the, you know, the action is hard for two reasons and, and they're very significant, equally significant. A, because when you take action, especially big, bold action, there is a high probability of failure. And most people naturally have an aversion to that. So that's number one. And number two is they um, that consistency is hard. Consistency is hard. Um, that's why gym memberships January 1st go through the roof, and 60 to 90 days later they drop off the fucking cliff. It's because consistency is hard. That's why discipline is so important. On the days where you really, really, fucking really don't want to do it and you still do it, that's power. Because we know that if you let yourself off the hook one time, if you let yourself off the hook Monday, how easy is it to let yourself off the hook Tuesday? Significantly easier. And then let's say you let yourself off the hook Tuesday. What about Wednesday? Now a whole week has gone by where you didn't do what you said you were going to do. Now a whole month has gone by. Now a whole year has gone by. And so consistency is hard. And I think most people subconsciously know that it's hard and they know that, they're, they're, that unless they change something about themselves, they'll be consistent for a while and then they won't be and they'll, they'll feel bad about themselves. So in order to save themselves that whole drama, they just don't get started in the first place. Yeah.
2: One of the reasons I've never stopped writing a thousand words a day, even though I'm done writing books with a publisher. I never want, I never want to lose that momentum.
1: Yep. That's smart.
2: Yeah. Wow. Uh, Well, I have two final questions for you. Uh, Yeah. At this point in your life, just based on on what I've gathered, it seems like you have um, the money to pretty much buy anything you want or have anything that you have wanted. Uh, Mm -hmm. How is your personal definition of success and what it means to be wealthy changed both with age and time?
1: Um you know money is a funny thing. Uh money does not change you. It only makes you more of what you already are. And that's true because I've been on both sides of the money spectrum. I've had like less than no money and I now have a lot of money. And money truly doesn't change you. It only makes you more of, of who you already are. Um so there's that. Um, and then there's this funny belief that money doesn't buy happiness, um, which is false. Um, there's, there's a comedian called Tosh who, who once said, um, they say money doesn't buy happiness, but have you ever seen someone on a jet ski? He said, you ain't, you ain't never in your life seen a sad person on a jet ski. And, you know, obviously that's kind of like comical and, and, and silly, but there's some truth to it. And I think it gets, I think happiness and fulfillment get confused. Um, but they are very different. So money does not buy fulfillment. And I know that firsthand. Um, and I know that because many of the people that I work with are high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals that thought they could buy their fulfillment back after years of neglecting it. And, and they come to the harsh reality that they cannot. Um, but, you know uh before my mom passed i bought her a car and that was one of the happiest days of her life um i've 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 paid for for um after school programs for kids that would otherwise not be able to go um i've i've bought tickets to self improvement seminars for people who couldn't afford to go um and and it absolutely changed their life and they're sending me selfies from the event with just smiles from ear to ear um so money money is a tool money is a tool to do more of whatever it is that's already inside of you and i've always been a kind of person who believes in making other people's lives better i've always done that whether i had money or i didn't and and my current situation just allows me to pour into people's lives in a way that is significant with money
2: Hmm. amazing um well i have one final question for you which is how we finish all of our the unmistakable creative what do you think it is that makes somebody
1: or something unmistakable um how they treat people how they treat people. I, I, I'll probably ma- mess it up, but there's that great quote that says something like, people might not remember what you do, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And I think that's really true. I think that um, how you treat people at the end of the day is one of the things that matters the most. And and certainly if being unmistakable, um, it, it, am I saying that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, yeah I, I believe that that is absolutely one of the, the best ways to, to, to be and to do that.
2: Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights and your wisdom with our listeners. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything that you're up to?
1: Yeah, um, my website, shannongram.com. Um, I also tend to hang out on the good old Facebook, so you can find me there too.
2: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared.
3: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall—whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray Five and One gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves. Without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else, custom spray five and one
4: only from Rustolium. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's
3: why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.